welcome to episode one of The World According to Me, the show where perception is reality, facts matter, and the truth will set you free. On tonight's episode, we're going to talk about your government doesn't care about you. Get used to it. So to get you in the spirit of the podcast, uh, I want to lay a little foundation and kind of nudge you into the thought process so that you can process everything you're about to learn, which is a lot of information. Um, your government doesn't care about you. And let me, let me prove a couple things to you. Um, so let's talk about something easy like um, seatbelts. Um, there have been lots of studies done that will tell you that seatbelts, uh, wearing a seatbelt actually improves your chances of surviving an automobile accident tremendously. Um, and I would agree with every single piece of that. Uh, the other thing they'll tell you is that uh, they will write you tickets um, if you're not wearing a seatbelt uh, and they will charge you money for not wearing a seatbelt. Um, but there's a logical way to get around this. And if the government really gave a crap about you, um, this is really easy to solve. Um, we currently have, uh, we have cars that will drive themselves. They'll park themselves. They'll change the station with the voice command. Um, they have rear view backup cameras. Uh, everything in the world short of flying, and they're working on that, they can do. Don't you think it'd be really simple to force automobile makers to make it mandatory that the car won't start unless you buckle the seatbelt? I mean, that just seems pretty logical, right? It does, right? But not for a politician. Uh, politicians will tell you that uh, uh, running from the police greatly not only increases the chance of you dying in an automobile accident, but everybody else around you. Well, that's true, but you could solve that problem very quickly. Um, you just make it so that normal citizens' cars only go 70 to 75 miles an hour and police cars go 100. Then that problem is solved. Uh, but they're not interested in solving the problem. They're interested in taxing you for it and making you afraid to live your life. And that's unfair. Let's talk about cigarettes. Um, I was a smoker myself. I'm reformed now. I smoke for 15 years. Uh, studies every single day will tell you that millions and millions of people die of lung cancer caused by cigarettes. They actually spent millions of your tax dollars uh, to do studies that would prove that that was true. They printed right on the label uh, that smoking cigarettes can cause lung cancer that will cause you to die. They also put on the sides of those labels that it could cause a low weight of, uh, of the birth of a child. Uh, the good news is I've already been born, so I don't really care about that. Uh, but the long and the short of the story is, if they really gave a crap about you, you could just make cigarettes illegal, like marijuana and other narcotics, but they don't do that. Instead, they tax them and they make it more expensive and they try to milk every dollar out of your last breathing part of your soul until you're dead because they don't care about you. Bleak, a little, true, 100%. So now that you're in that frame of mind, um, those things that we just talked about, those are ideas. Those are things that we ponder over, things that we discuss over a couple of beers and we bitch and we complain about, but nothing ever really changes. And, and we become accustomed to it becoming a part of our lexicon. Um, so tonight what I want to do is because I like to bring uh, fiction to fact and I, I like to speak the truth um, and give you examples in order to support my argument instead of just rhetoric and bullshit like most people. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're gonna cut through the bullshit like a hot knife through butter, and we're gonna give you examples that you can share with all your friends when they tell you that I'm wrong. You ready? I want you to be patient with me for a few minutes. I, at one point, I had aspirations to be a teacher. So tonight, I put together a virtual blackboard and a PowerPoint presentation to illustrate my point. So without further ado, I wanna bring you in and let you see what that looks like. So, 
In tonight's episode, the, this is the government that the founders warned us about, and no truer statement was ever spoken. Tonight, we're going to talk about stop giving me a raise, I can't afford it. Follow along. In order for us to illustrate our point, we're going to need to go inside the numbers. We're going to have to lay down some actual facts, some logical information so that you can then wrap your mind around it in order to understand the debate and then move the debate forward and take it to people that may not be fans of this type of thinking. So what I did is I created a chart and I started with year and then I looked at the minimum wage in that particular year and I looked at two components of your life, things that would be uh, normal in, in most people's lives. Uh, gas and rent. Those are things that are influenced by things other than brand name in most cases. Um, so rent and gas, I looked at those two components and then I decided to figure out how many hours you would have to work at that minimum wage in order to afford just gas and rent, just those two pieces. There's a million other things that go into the cost of living. I understand that, but we want to talk about just two things because the chart would be 3000 miles long and we don't have time for that. Um, then I want to talk about what percentage of your income you would have to contribute to pay for rent and gas based on minimum wage. And that way we can kind of get a correlation going through the years because my theory is that minimum wage doesn't help you at all. It's simply a deterrent. It's something to keep you occupied while the real work is going on behind the scenes, which is they don't really care about you. So uh, tolerate me for a few minutes and see if I can educate some people. So the years I chose were 1938 through 2019. 1938 because that was the first year of the minimum wage, the very first year that minimum wage was instituted as a federal, uh, as a part of federal law. I then chose 1949 and some other dates arbitrarily, but 1945 is the year that my father was born. I'm doing this as a little bit of a dig at him, so don't tell him. 1967 was the year I was born, possibly quite along with a lot of you, or a lot of you. Uh, I graduated high school in 1986. 1995 was in the middle of the 90s, right smack in the middle, so that's a good place to look. The year 2000 was the end and the beginning of a new millennium, uh, 2009 and 2019. Those dates seem a little odd because I probably should have gone 2010 and 2020, but 2020 was such a train wreck so far that there's really no valid information in there or, uh, or strategy that we can really look at that really makes any sense. So I chose 2009 and 2019. So let's get started. In 1938, the minimum wage was a whopping 24 cents an hour. Gas was 20 cents a gallon. Rent was $27 a month, and you had to work roughly 112.5 hours in order, to, uh, in order to pay for those two pieces of your life, um, which equates to about 72% of your income. Now, that's before you buy anything else. That's just gas and rent. In 1945, uh, minimum wage almost doubles. Uh, gas stays stagnant, but it was the end of the Second World War. Um, we were using a tremendous amount of gas across the world uh, to supply tanks and planes and all those things. The war ended, tremendous surplus in gasoline, less people used, or less amounts being used, so there's a surplus, so the price stayed stagnant. It's really capitalism in a nutshell. Rent jumped up to $38 a month, uh, so it went up, $11, uh, but you had all these people coming back from war, and, and it was the boom of a, of a new uh, economic generation, and so the people took advantage of the market. Makes sense. You had to work 95 hours. So the amount of hours you had to work actually dropped, and so did the percentage of your income. It's down to 60%. So far, minimum wage looks like it's a home run. Now let's look at 67. 1967, year I was born, minimum wage goes up by a dollar, up to $1.40. Gasoline goes up to $1.72. Rent goes up to $95, so it tripled. Hours work dropped down. 
pretty good deal. Only 68 hours you got to work now to pay for those two things. And it's only 43% of your income. Again, 1938 sounds like the year of a genius until this starts to happen. 1986, minimum wage goes to $3.52, jumped dramatically. Gas goes up to 201. Rent goes up $300 a month to 395. The amount of hours worked, 112.2. Well, good Lord, that number looks very similar to that one. And the percentage of your income goes back to 71%. Hmm, seems odd. Well, let's jump a few years ahead. Let's go to 1995. It's gotta get better, right? 1995, minimum wage goes to 475. Yay, we're making more money. Gas drops down. Well, that's during the Gulf War. Makes sense. We took over some gas. Things got tricky over there. Gas dropped down. Rent goes to 482. Goes up, but not too dramatic, but it does go up. And your hours kind of drop back down, right? 101.5. Eh, things are smoothing out. Now we're back down to 64%. Life is good. Then we go to 2000. Minimum wage goes to $5.50. Pretty significant jump. Gas jumps up pretty significantly to a buck 51. Rent goes up to 602. Your hours go up again. They're creeping up. 109.5. We're almost back to where we started from. And you're at 69% of your income. So over the course of, uh, what's that? 62 years. Uh, we are essentially right back where we started. So what happens between 2000 and 2009 that could possibly impact anything political in this country or economically? Well, in 2008, Barack Obama was elected. Here comes the beginning of the story. In 2009, minimum wage went from 550 to 725. Now this is significant because this is the largest percentage jump in such a short period of time since the inception of the minimum wage in 1938. Gas, went for two, from $1.51 a gallon to $2.79 a gallon. That's a tremendous jump. Rent went from 602 to 978. The, again, the largest percentage jump since we started back in 1938. The hours worked went from 109.5 to 134. We are now working more hours since the inception of minimum wage, which was designed to create stabilizing income for the poor people and make life easier for everybody. Well, now you're actually working more and making less, even though the number is higher. The percentage of the income jumps to 85%. So we started at 72, we dropped, we dropped, we went up, we dropped, we went up, and now we're back up to 85%. So you took the largest percentage increase in the history of the minimum wage, your gas, it all but doubled, your rent went up by over 300 bucks. Your hours worked. You have to actually have to work almost an entire second week now just to afford rent and gas. And it's 85% of your income. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Because, I mean, it was designed. I mean, the government cared about you, so they wanted to make sure you had money until they forced people to pay you. Well, it doesn't seem like life got any better. So now we move on to 2019. In 2019, the minimum wage stayed the same, right? So Barack Obama moved the minimum wage to 725, Democratic Jesus, 725. It stayed the same in 2019. Gas actually dropped down because, thank God, Republicans in the White House, we started to drill, drill, baby, drill. Thank you, Donald Trump. So we dropped down in gas, and gas prices continue to fall today. Rent jumped up significantly to 1465. Big increase, almost 500 bucks. 
the number of hours you need to work now is at 202. 202. You almost have to work twice as many hours as you did at the beginning of minimum wage, and you're making the most money. And the percentage of your income is now at 127%. Just for gas and rent, it is now theoretically impossible for you to live on your own on a wage that was designed to help you live on your own. Anybody else find a big, big fucking problem with that? I do. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Jason, according to your theory, Barack Obama caused all these problems. Now, that's not really what I said, but there is some validity to that. So now the next question you got is, well, he's out of office. It's 2019. Look at the mess we got going on now. Well, I wonder what could have driven that mess. I mean, it wasn't just the election of Donald Trump, right? Although that's what the Democrats would have you believe. Let's take a look at what actually happened. In 2019, the Democratic House passes the Raise the Wage Act one year before the next election in 2020. This is entering us into the $15 an hour minimum wage debate. Now, it had been talked about for a long time. It was started out as a, uh, as a, as a mental child in, in uh, 2012 in New York. And there were marches for it and all those types of things. And some states caved to it and some businesses caved to it, but it was never actually mandated. In 2019, Nancy Pelosi, in all of her infinite wisdom, now passes the ways, uh, Raise the Wage Act in the House. That enters us into the $15 an hour debate. Significant. Stay with me. Carrot, stick. So now you got the Democrats dangling another carrot. They're telling you that we're going to raise the minimum wage because we care about you and we want you to succeed. But what you just saw from that other chart is it really didn't do anything. It actually made it worse. So they're dangling the carrot, but you never get to it. So how did this happen? Well, in 2008, Barack Obama is elected. He runs on health care for all. That's a problem because there's not enough taxes for him to steal from. Remember those debates? It's going to cost everybody more money. So they have to come up with a solution. What's the solution? Well, the answer is increase minimum wage from $5.85 to $7.25. That's exactly what happened. We just saw the chart that happened. I didn't pull those numbers out of my ass. I, I, I researched them and took them off of several sites, not just Fox News. That's a collaboration of sites. That's those numbers. Then that gives 2 million people a 20% raise. Well, that's good news, right? 20% of the people, or two, 2 million people got a 20% raise. It's not even a big number of people in comparison to the amount of people in the United States. I don't even understand why that's significant, Jason. Great question. Glad you brought it up. In 2010, the Affordable Care Act begins. It was roughly in March, I believe. Uh, 2010 Affordable Care Act begins. What's the problem with that? Well, Barack Obama goes on national television and declares to American business owners that healthcare is now mandatory if you own a business. If you have a certain amount of employees and they make a certain amount of hours, therefore they are now entitled to healthcare, which the employer has to contribute to, which they didn't have to before. What's the answer? Well, the answer is the businesses reacted as capitalistic businesses would. The inflation rate doubles. It goes from 1.7% on average to over 3% in 2011. So we go from March 2010 when the Affordable Care Act begins, businesses go into panic mode. By the time we get to 2011, the inflation rate has doubled. So if you don't understand inflation, let me give you a quick synopsis. Inflation rate is determined uh, based on what uh, uh, the people can afford and the cost of goods and services. Typically, the cost of living rises right along with the cost of goods and services. When they go up quicker than the cost of living, that basically is inflation. So what happened was 
people hit the panic button. I have to now pay the increased minimum wage from 585 to 725, which is expensive. And anybody that I have working beyond 32 hours a week, I now have to provide healthcare for. So I have to figure out how to do that. So the only way for me to do that as a small business is to generate more income. And the only way for me to generate more income is to charge more for my goods and services. And that's what happened. So it doubles from 1.7 to 3%. This causes a panic in the economy. That's when the things started to get bad, if you remember. Now, here's the worst part about all of this, is all of this minimum wage talk and all of the healthcare was all designed to help the poor people, right? I mean, you got people gotta have jobs and if they got jobs and they're working hard, they should have healthcare, right? So what could possibly go wrong? Well, the unemployment rate almost doubled. That's what happened. It went from 5.5% to 9.6%. Now, I didn't make those numbers up again. I didn't pull them out of my ass. You can find them anywhere on the internet. All you have to do is be willing to go spend a few minutes and look. So it goes from 5.5 to 9.6. Why did it jump so much? Well, I've raised the cost of my goods and services so that I can actually bring in more money. But I now understand that I'm not bringing in even enough money when I inflate it to that cost. But I can't go higher because my business will decline because other people won't buy it because it's too expensive. So the only option that I have left is for, to reduce the amount of people that I have employed. Therefore, I don't have to cover all of that employer health care. So I've got to now demand more out of the people that I have because I can't afford to pay the amount of people that I actually need. That drops it down, right? So uh, that makes it palatable for the business owners to have. And that's what caused all the unemployment. 2016, here comes the Trump-Clinton election, right? Uh, House Democrats now begin crafting the Raise the Wage Act. This is important in the timing of how all this plays out. Hillary Rodden Clinton kneecaps Bernie and the fix is in. This is significant. Let me explain to you why. We watched that happen in real time. Bernie was kicking her ass all the way through it. He wouldn't go away. And it was phenomenal to watch. I'm not even a Bernie fan, but good Lord, I love an underdog story. He's kicking her ass. And they kneecapped him. They figured out how to get him out. Why did they need to do that? Because they wanted a woman in the White House? Because it was the moral thing to do? Bullshit alert. Here's what happened. If you know your history, the actual inception of healthcare for all, nationalized healthcare, was birthed by Hillary Rodham Clinton when she was the first lady in the White House in the 90s. That was her pet project. That's how all this came about. So because Barack Obama failed at putting it together and wasn't able to tax people enough in order to pay for it, they still don't want to let it go. So what do they do? Well, they bring in the godmother. That's what they do. And God forbid she actually has to run a campaign and go visit states. They just kneecap the guy that's going to beat her and took him out. So the fix was in. Seems like an easy solution. Now you're starting to put together while people were standing outside screaming at the sky like morons, right? Because their whole plan just imploded in November of 2016. Stay with me. We're getting closer. So what's the solution? Well, in my opinion, it's vote Republican and vote often. But let's talk about why that's important. In 2014, Republicans take control of Congress. Thank the Lord, right? Because things are just spiraling out of control. Healthcare is getting out of control. All of these things, businesses are closing, unemployment rates through the roof. Inflation drops to 0.8%. It's the lowest rate in 10 years. If you remember correctly, Barack Obama was elected in 2008. So it drops to the lowest point in 10 years. It happened in that year right there because Republicans took office in 2014. Unemployment rate begins to stabilize down to 6%. Remember, it was 9.6%. And in less than three years, it dropped three and a half points. 
In 2016, Trump wins. The crowd goes wild. He promises to defund Obamacare. We loved that. We've been hearing about it since it began. We heard every Republican in the world tell you they were going to do it, and then they didn't do shit about it, which, by the way, I'm not defending Republicans. It just so happens that it works out in this particular scenario. They're all a bunch of snakes. That's why they all hate Trump. But we'll talk about that later on. So in 2016, he wins, promises to defund Obamacare. Life is getting much better. The, the Democrats are, are, are crying on themselves and they're screaming at the sky and he's not my president and uh, the pink movement and all of those things happen. The stock market doubles. This makes it even worse for the Democrats. Holy shit, we actually lost to the devil. Hillary didn't win, even though we set it up and kneecapped Bernie and the freaking stock market has doubled. Unemployment rate falls to a 50-year low not just for white people, not just for black people, not just for Hispanics and Asians, not just for men or women, for every single metric that you can determine. It drops to a 50-year low. Double stock market, 50-year low on unemployment. Life is looking pretty damn good. So it's over, right? Trump's got them under control. Republicans are back in charge. Life is, life is happy for everybody. Well, not exactly. The Wicked Witch of the West does not die unless you pour water on her. We watched the movie. So, do you remember when she said, anybody not willing to accept the results of an election is a danger to democracy? And then she lost. And that didn't mean anything anymore. So let's look at another timeline because it's not over yet. We know that. In July of 2019, the House finally passes the Raise the Wage Act. We just talked about that. This brings us in to the reality of $15 an hour. In December, early December, the House now votes to impeach Trump. You got, we just watched all this several months ago. They vote to impeach Trump. Why? You got to take him out. You got a double stock market. You got the lowest unemployment rate in history. The world is on the run trying to get away from us because we're reclaiming everything that the Democrats gave to them. We've got China with our foot on their throats about to crack. We got North Korea in tears. Things are going unbelievably well even though they told us the whole world was going to implode when Trump got elected. They got to take him out. Fortunately, in mid-December, when it gets to the Senate, cooler heads prevailed, Senate drops the charges. Everybody's happy, right? Well, not quite. Because now in April of 2020, Joe Biden kneecaps Bernie again. The fix is in again. Why? Because Bernie is a wild card. He doesn't buy into everything they said. He says he does on some things. But if you listen to all of his speeches, his rhetoric does not fit the overall plan of the Democratic Party. So they cap him. He's out. Now Biden's in. They're taking a second bite at the apple. And it's important that you pay attention to this because it is happening right before your eyes. And if we don't pay attention, we're doomed to repeat it. And if we don't catch it like we did last time, It'll be the end of America as we know it. And I'm not being overly dramatic. We'll all live, we'll all have jobs, we'll still be free, all of those things. But our economic climate will change so dramatically that we won't recognize it anymore. So what's the moral to the story, Jason? You talked about the carrot and the stick. What's the actual moral to the story? Well, one, 26 million Americans work part-time jobs. The internet and all of the other sources that I used uh, equate part-time work as roughly 30 to 35 hours a week. So 26 million, almost 10% of Americans work part-time jobs. Number two, in 2019, the federally recognized poverty level income was $12,000. Number three, 
$7.25 at part-time, 30 hours a week, only nets you $10,400 a year, well below the poverty line. That's terrible, and I agree with that. Number four, $15 an hour at 30 hours a week takes you to $21,600 per year. Well, that doubles their income. That sounds great, Jason. Why wouldn't anybody love that? Well, what's really happening? It's back to the seatbelts and the cancer and the cigarettes. They're dangling the carrot, but what's the carrot? In 2010, the American Healthcare Act expanded Medicaid to non-elderly adults if, and only if, your income was less than 138% of the poverty level. Take $12,000 at 138% and you end up at $16,560. Why is that significant? Well, because at $15 an hour, you took ever, all the part-time workers and you brought them up to $21,000 a year. They are no longer eligible for welfare healthcare benefits. They cannot get Medicaid because they make too much money. And here's the real kicker. All those people that they cared about, they just eliminated their access to the benefits that they fought so hard to give to them because they loved them so much. They now are not allowed to participate in that program anymore. And here's the death nail. You don't get the benefits, but you're contributing at twice the normal rate. So you got 15 bucks an hour, congratulations. You doubled your income. You now have to pay for healthcare. You get no more food stamps. You get none of those things anymore because you're not at the poverty level anymore. Thank you, Democrats. So what's this really about? What's the real moral to the story? What's the carrot? This is about funding Obamacare. This has nothing to do with $15 an hour. They don't give a shit about the poor people. 15 bucks an hour, you're not getting it. You're still gonna be north of 100% of your income, just like the chart that we saw. Minimum wage drives the cost of goods and services, period, hard stop. Anybody that tells you differently is lying. What does that mean? Well, that means diapers, peanut butter, milk, cheese, bread, gasoline, rent, all those things. That's what the minimum wage drives. Those are the, the, the most uh, essential goods and services that this country provides. And that's what drives the cost of those things. When the poor people make more money, the cost of goods and services go right up with it. Here's something else that you don't think about. If you take a part-time worker that's making $7.25 an hour and you double their income to $15 an hour, what happens to the other four employees that were making $12 an hour? Well, now they make less than the new guy. Think about this for a minute. If you went to Longhorn tonight, the most expensive hourly employee in that building is the grill cook. Why? Because it's a steakhouse. That guy makes about 16 bucks an hour. The dishwasher, the least experienced person in that building, makes $7.25. Imagine what happens when you take the dishwasher to $15 an hour. Suddenly, the grill cook is not happy at 16 because the ratio has changed. Now you have to take him to 21. Now he makes more than the manager. So now you have to take the manager up $10,000. And the cost of that $16 T-bone that you love so much is now $31. That's what happened. So the real question is, what in the hell did I just read? Exactly. So that was a little fun trip. Uh, the charts were cool. They're fun. Uh, I'll give you one more piece of, uh, uh, I'm gonna give you a little homework. Um, if you think that the numbers I just presented to you, if you think I'm pulling them out of thin air, if you think I'm uh, a conspiracy theorist uh, and that I just hate Democrats and I don't like poor people making extra money, 
None of that shit is true, by the way. Although your friends that don't agree with us will tell you that. So here's a little homework assignment for you if you don't believe me. Right now, you can go on your phone, you can pull up on the internet what the average minimum wage earner is receiving in unemployment benefits due to COVID. It's roughly $600 a week. We'll call it 600 because that's a nice round number. I want you to take $600 and I want you to divide it by $15 an hour and see what you come up with. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to read a book for me if you get a chance. Educate Yourself. This is a book by Glenn Beck. Some of you may be fans, some of you may be not. I'm, yeah, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But this book is a tremendous read. It's not written as a uh, self-help book. It's not written as a, as a textbook. It's written as a novel. But by the time you get to the end of it, you will fully understand everything that we just talked about. The Overton Window is a tremendous read. So pick that up. And if you want to find out where to find it, ask me, I'll loan you a copy. So I want to thank you for taking 30 minutes out of your night and spending, the, spending that time with me um, and let me educate you on some things that rattle around in my head. Um, I would like to invite you to come back every week where we're gonna cut through all of this bullshit like a hot knife through butter every single time. And I'm gonna do it violently and I'm gonna do it aggressively and I'm gonna do it without thinking about people's feelings. We're just gonna put fact in there and figure it out. So in the words of the famous Sean Connery, here endeth the lesson. Thank you. <laughs>